What's the good word, everybody? Is it Thunderbird? Who knows? But my name is Dave Rosenbluth, and you are checking out Kicking Out at Two this week. And thank you all so very much for doing so. Great show planned for you as we are in the thick of the SummerSlam theme as we get set for the August 19th, 30th annual SummerSlam event from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. This week we're going to cover some of the more important superstars in SummerSlam history as Justin and I sit down and we compile a list of these individuals and their resumes at SummerSlam, their MVP status, if you will, the heroes of SummerSlam, whatever you want to call them, these individuals in our minds are the guys that help shape the SummerSlam event and make it what it is today. But before we do that, I feel the need to... Uh, Spread some love, some positivity, if you will, because there's a lot of negativity on the internet and social media and just in pop culture in general out there in the news. And I'm just, I hate it. I can't stand it. And I I want to bring positivity to this podcast. That's been my mission statement, positive pro wrestling banter and just guys shooting the shit about their memories their fun memories of pro wrestling that's the overall theme i don't mean to be cliche or corny but i'm just trying to bring positivity to this and make this a lot of fun and it's fun for me to do this hopefully it's fun for you to listen to it so uh yeah positivity and i think keeping up with the positivity theme i'd like to give a few shout outs to some people that have supported this show early on and continue to support this show W Figs Retro Wrestling Action Figures. You guys have uh, allowed me to post links of the show on your page, and I truly and greatly appreciate that. Thank you for allowing me to spread the kicking out of two love over on that page. For those of you that are retro wrestling action figures uh, aficionados, go check them out on Facebook. They got Hasbro's, LJN's, Mattel's, Jack's. Uh, all the old school wrestling action figures. Some stuff I've seen on there that, that I've never seen before that I didn't even know existed. And then they got some great custom work. Guys take old action figures and they redo them. It's it's truly amazing. It's unbelievable over there. Great group of guys to chop it up with and talk old school pro wrestling. So go check them out, W Figs. Another group, uh, Pro Wrestling Edge on Facebook. I'd like to thank you guys for allowing us to spread the kicking out of two love, dropping links to your page and you guys supporting us as well it's greatly appreciated tito you're the man um jr perez from wrestle pod talk and from everything wrestling federation you've been a, a big supporter of this show early on and i truly greatly appreciate that and i appreciate you allowing me to advertise this show on your platform and on both your platforms i should say and uh go check out everything wrestling federation on facebook they have uh it's similar to the w figs page except they do just more than action figures they do wrestling collectibles and they have discussions and it's just pretty much like a pro wrestling smorgasbord between past and the present and even some you know stuff from the future <laughs> which is that even possible who knows but they have everything pro wrestling related over there so everything wrestling federation on facebook uh, speak to J.R. Perez. He's the man over there. And uh, WrestlePod Talk, too. If you're looking for solid news and rumors in the world of pro wrestling, J.R. has all that over there at WrestlePod Talk. But uh, the biggest shout-out I feel the need to give to uh, the Mania Club on Facebook. The Mania Club is a group of individuals that set up a tailgate party in the parking lot of the stadium that WrestleMania is held in every single year. Uh, the 
They've done this the past few years. My brother, Justin, he attended the uh, the Mania Club tailgate party in New Orleans earlier this year, and they offer uh, food and beverage for $40, and proceeds of that go to uh, research for Connor's Cure, the, the charity that WWE heavily promotes on their program, uh, research for pediatric cancer. It's a great group of guys gr- for a great cause. Uh, I can't say that enough. Go check them out on Facebook. If you're going to attend a WrestleMania and you're looking for something to do the day of the show, go to the tailgate party. It's a lot of fun. I saw a video posted on Facebook uh, from the Mania Club at WrestleMania earlier this year. They were in the parking lot at the uh, Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans, and uh, they had a lot of fun. I wished I was there. They're blaring wrestling entrance music, and you see guys getting dressed up as you know cosplaying, if you will, as their favorite wrestlers, and it just looked like a hell of a lot of fun, something I would definitely love to be a part of uh, when I go to a WrestleMania in the near future. So check them out, Mania Club, over on Facebook. And with that being said... When it comes to Mania Club, when it comes to WFIGS, Pro Wrestling Edge, WrestlePod Talk, EWF, Everything Wrestling Federation, you guys are certainly all in with kicking out at two, and I can't thank you enough for your love and support. I really appreciate it. Speaking of all in, now that, folks, is what we call a segue in the business. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the big news that came from the Bullet Club camp earlier this week that the highly anticipated all-in event is going to be held on traditional pay-per-view, as well as Fight TV, and the first hour of all-in is going to be broadcasted live on WGN America. Check your local cable operators for WGN America if you have it. If not, you get pay-per-view, Fight TV, the Honor Club, Ring of Honor streaming service will also be offering all in. Um, my thoughts on this in general, I think it's truly awesome and amazing that on this scale, Cody Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, these Bullet Club guys have taken their name and they have created a brand outside of what people call mainstream professional wrestling with WWE and have really turned the wrestling world on its ear. I think it's great for the business overall. They sold out the Sears Center in Chicago uh, there's not going to be a empty seat in the house that night. Pay-per-view, I mean, I'm I'm contemplating ordering this because uh, it's it's a big deal. It's a big show for the business, and it's, it's got a it's got a pretty loaded card, in my opinion. So far, when you look at the card, there's the um, there's a, a battle royal on the the uh, the first free hour on WGN America involving uh, Impact Wrestling's Moose and Colt Cabana and some other guys. Also, on that same free hour, you have the Briscoes, the Briscoe brothers from Ring of Honor, former Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, taking on uh, uh, Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. And then you got the main card, which is pretty stacked too, as you have uh, bad boy Joey Janela, who's made a, a splash on the independent scene, going one-on-one with Hangman Adam Page from the Bullet Club. That should be an exciting match. Both guys... Uh, Definitely very athletically gifted and talented, and I'm looking forward to seeing those two guys mix it up. We also have a a, 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 a possible show stealer on this card. Kazuchika Okada, the former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, just recently lost that title to Kenny Omega, who will also be a part of All In. Okada's going to go one-on-one with Bullet Club's villain, Marty Skrull. 
should be the, uh, like I said, the potential show stealer of the night. But then again, there's a lot of matches that could be show stealers on this card. You also got Rey Mysterio and Bandito and Phoenix. They're all going to take on uh, the Young Bucks and Kota Ibushi, known as the Golden Elite. Christopher Daniels, the Fallen Angel, is going to go one-on-one with Stephen Amell from the Arrow. Stephen Amell, as some of you may remember, participated in the SummerSlam a number of years ago against Cody Rhodes, who was portraying the Stardust character in a tag team match. And Amell was uh, quite impressive for his limited wrestling ability. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what he's going to bring against a talented veteran, a crafty veteran like the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels. And then, of course, we have the main event, as of right now, the big one. For the 10 pounds of gold, Nick Aldis, formerly known as Magnus from Impact Wrestling, the former TNA World Heavyweight Champion, is going to defend the NWA World Heavyweight Championship against Cody Rhodes in the main event. Um, I'm just excited at the fact that the NWA World Heavyweight Championship is, uh, is, is being held with such prestige now. It's being held... Um, in high regard, there's relevance to the title for the last decade, even if if not more. The NWA title, they've tried to resurrect it and 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 bring life to it, and there just ha- it's just been a lot of failed attempts, unfortunately, between you know lack of credibility and some of the talents holding the title, in my opinion, or just the title not being presented properly. The NWA brand as a whole has not been. Uh, has seen better days, that's for sure. But now Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins, former minority owner of TNA Wrestling for a short period of time, he bought the brand, and he's trying to revitalize the National Wrestling Alliance, which I think is pretty cool. And and right now he's taking a modern-day approach with the brand and with Nick Aldis as its champion and really turning the wrestling world on its ear, being a part of this all-in event and associating the title with an event like this. Not to say that All-In wouldn't have been successful with without the championship, but I think adding the NWA World Heavyweight title to an event as popular as this and help, gives it some credibility. It really does. And how ironic that Cody Rhodes, following in his father's footsteps to go after the NWA World Heavyweight title and an event that he's helped create. You know, Dusty did it too with Starcade and Wrestling Flair for the NWA World title at those events and... I mean, it's just, everything's come full circle. It's pretty cool. I'm pretty excited for this event. And uh, there should be more names to, to to be added to this card. Like I said, Kenny Omega will be a part of it. Doesn't have an official match as of right now. Jay Lethal's also advertised to appear. Tessa Blanchard from Impact Wrestling. The commentary team, you're going to have uh, Ring of Honor's Ian Riccoboni, Don Callis. Former WWF backstage interviewer Sean Mooney's going to be a part of it. Uh, Justin Roberts. Jerry Lynn is going to be a referee. The Hebners, Earl and Brian Hebner, are also going to referee matches. It's a big show. This is a big deal. And, you know, this is probably the the, the largest independent wrestling show ever to take place. And I don't mean that in a, neg- in a negative way whatsoever. I know it might bring a negative connotation to it by, by me referring to it as an independent wrestling show. But on the scale of uh, what WWE has been able to produce in the last several decades um cody and the bucks personally funding this event and helping make you know make it possible it's a very independent organization or operation if you will so um but there's nothing wrong with that and hopefully the success of this show leads us to an all-in two who knows maybe they'll start their own promotion i'm not sure but it's 
it's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't say enough good about that when it comes to uh, the the all-in presentation. And one more thing I wanted to address here, something that I saw on uh, Monday Night Raw this past week, the level of genius that comes out of Paul Heyman, according to everybody out there in the internet wrestling community, is is well talked about. But I'm going to jump on that bandwagon for just a moment here and discuss how awesome his interview was with Renee Young and helping sell the Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns match at SummerSlam. I mean, I've always been a Paul Heyman guy. I don't dick ride him like everybody on the internet does and thinks he's the greatest thing in wrestling since sliced bread, but he contributes a lot. He's a very creative guy, uh, definitely has helped make a lot of careers, uh, definitely has left an impact on the business in many ways from being a promoter to being a manager uh, to being a writer. Uh, He's definitely left his mark on the business and is one of the all-time greats in that regard. But, uh, you know, I'm going to give the devil his due here. What he did the other night, unbelievable, and how he sold me on the Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar match. I'm a Roman Reigns guy. I like Roman Reigns, but... I've just been kind of tired of, 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 of his character as of late uh, in the Brock Lesnar situation, and I've been kind of tired of the whole Brock Lesnar situation in general with the championship. But Heyman's involvement, the twist with Brock kind of turning on Heyman, so to speak, has kind of added a new layer and a new dimension to their SummerSlam match that I didn't expect, and I think it's kind of cool, actually. And I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of role and involvement Paul Heyman will have in regards to the Universal Championship match at SummerSlam on August the 19th between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. Now, got it all out of the way. It's time for the main event. So without further ado, all right, let's kick things off this week. Uh, Keeping with the SummerSlam theme as we're approaching the 30th annual event on August the 19th, I I wanted to do a show this week based on some of the key players that really helped shape the history of SummerSlam uh, in the last 30 years. You know, WrestleMania is the top of the heap when it comes to uh, pay-per-views in WWE, and it seems like WrestleMania gets a lot more love and a lot more attention because of the history behind it, as, as well as... It should, as it should. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's there's big players and big names that you can uh, associate WrestleMania with, but I don't feel like SummerSlam gets that same kind of love. And and maybe it shouldn't because, like you said, WrestleMania, top of the heap. But, uh, you know, I wanted to compile a list of guys and their SummerSlam resumes and really go over what um, contributions... Yeah, and, and um, you know, Shawn Michaels is Mr. WrestleMania. Undertaker's had the greatest WrestleMania streak in, uh, of all time. Some people will say Hulk Hogan put WrestleMania on the map. Um, you know, those three names you can, you know not define WrestleMania with, but are synonymous with WrestleMania. So, you know, I I thought maybe it would be cool if we found some names that were synonymous with SummerSlam and what made that event so special. So we've compiled a list of about 10 guys and their SummerSlam resumes. And uh, we're just going to go down the list and we're going to, you know, discuss, you know, their importance to the event and some of their memorable and maybe even not so memorable moments from that event. Why don't you uh, Why don't you kick things off? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think for it's important to for everybody to know this is not a top ten where this is no particular order. Kind of just guys we were, you know, just pondering and thinking about over the years. Um, you know what? 
Let's start with, uh, let's start with, you know what? It's going to be hard to ignore the current reigning, defending, undisputed, universal champion, Brock Lesnar. Uh, that guy has quite the resume, especially in recent years, but his SummerSlam, he's, he's certainly going to be on, you know, in a, in a lot of record books for his accomplishments at that event for sure. Yeah, I mean, in the last few years, SummerSlam has kind of been his event. It's been centered around him, but uh, the the probably one of the most career defining moments in his tenure in the in the business was his first SummerSlam when he won the undisputed WWE Championship from The Rock at in uh, Nassau. Coliseum, Long Island, New York. Uh, this was, you know, when the next big thing had arrived in WWE. Uh, yeah, and, and with that, the next big thing had arrived, and the uh, the great one was was leaving. Uh, I, you know, I I didn't watch that pay per view live, but shortly thereafter, I, I I caught a glimpse of it, and I remember, you know, just my God, the 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 crap that they threw at the Rock because they knew he was walking out the door, and you know, the beast, and he wasn't even called that then, he was just this big SOB, this tough monster they were cheering for. Um, so it was a big uh, big way to really make him a made guy. At that point, he, if he hadn't wrestled another match, you know, he was he was made. Oh, for sure. I mean, the way that, that that story was told and the dominance that Brock's character showed in that match to a guy of the stature of The Rock, you knew right away watching that match that, you know, Brock was going to be a big deal. I mean, not that he wasn't presented as a big deal when he first came in, but um, when the bell when the bell rung and the match was over and he was holding up that title, um, he was on the same level as The Rock after defeating him. Oh, definitely, and I think they did a really good job at like in the build up with all those you know videos of them working out, just such an old school wrestling, you know, tell the tape, if you will. You yep. Know, you, they they laid out the Rock's athletic accomplishments all the way back to his days at the U as a as a player at the University of Miami, and they had to lay that up against the decorated amateur career of Brock Lesnar, and again just such cool ass videos, you know, the Rock running up the stairs at the old Orange Bowl, you know what I mean? Yeah. Brock Lesnar just, my God, you know that guy is just a freak of nature. The feats of strength and athletic ability that they were showing him do in a gym. It was just like, it got me, it got you going. It was like, I, I got to see these two guys collide because, you know, these are some impressive looking dudes. Yeah, now, now uh, history had uh, shown us that uh, the following year, Brock Lesnar had wrestled Kurt Angle for the WWE Championship. Uh, n- a good match, but not one of their better bouts, in my opinion. And, of course, we all know Brock Lesnar had left WWE, left the, the, the business altogether, uh, tried his hand in uh, you know professional football, had some success in mixed martial arts, and uh, made his return in 2002. And like I said, at the, the, the top of the, the Open here, when we're talking about Brock, uh, it seemed like in the last uh, you know sev- several years, SummerSlam has been centered around him started with that match with Triple H which I'm not a big fan of. I thought that match was slow and just didn't grab my attention, but the match he had with Punk the following year was a lot of fun. I don't know what your take is on uh Brock's impact in uh you know SummerSlam in recent years, but um I dug the match I, the, in most recent memory, the match with Punk is probably up there as one of my favorite Brock SummerSlam matches. I would probably agree with you. Um I think 
you know, again, it, they the WWE knows how to, to 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 do box office better than just about anybody else in the world. So when they laid out the the beast versus the best, like that tells the story. Yep, it's so easy. Yeah, and you know, you don't have it. It's, in this day and age, it doesn't have to be good versus bad. You just pick a side, and it was really cool to see, especially because they were both Paul Heyman guys, mm-hmm. and see how that that relationship factored into the to the equation was just really cool and again punk's you know track record even up at this point was that guy would that guy would put his body through you know through hell and back you know to to put anyone over to put on any type of show you know you got to give him credit for that and you know going through you know any amount of time in the ring with brock lesnar is is like going you know to war for an hour with you know just about any of the best wrestlers out there so you know he let it all out left it all out there for sure and um you know it was hard to really call him a loser after that match you brought up good versus bad and the following year SummerSlam, it seemed like that was the image they were trying to portray with brock lesnar challenging john cena for the wwe world heavyweight championship uh you know the Heading into that uh, that match, Brock had been riding high on ending Undertaker's WrestleMania uh, undefeated streak, and he goes into SummerSlam. And what we, at least in my opinion, what I thought was a was going to be a slugfest and a brawl was a massacre with Brock Lesnar and the you know. I would say the the early birth of Suplex City as he bounced John Cena around the Staples Center. You know, I, I, I lo- this, you know what? I, this might be my favorite because for the longest time I looked at, at you never, like, WWE, especially, you know, when you pull back the curtain, they, they let you know their entertainment. They let you know you're not going to get any any routes, mm-hmm. any squashes. Yep. You know, every it's going to be competitive. It's going to be entertaining, if nothing else. This match reminded me, and I always thought wrestling needed a little bit of this, and they brought it in, in here. This match reminded me of Rocky Balboa versus Mr. T Part One. Okay. You know, and and, and it told the story of of a, of a of a guy in John Cena who had finally gotten back to the top of the mountain. Not that he was this underdog of sorts, but he had been kind of you know in between things with with what was going on. You know, after he defeated The Rock and. He won the title, um, and, you know, the champ is here, right? One month later, he just runs into that brick wall, Suplex yeah. City. And, you know, and I would say, kayfabe or not, probably the most dominant championship victory in history, given the two guys that were standing in the ring. You know, it wasn't Brock Lesnar versus, you know, Paul London. It no. It was Brock Lesnar <laughs> versus arguably the greatest of all time in John Cena. And he put that motherfucker down. And... Um, I just recall seeing a TMZ video hours later. He was walking through the streets of Los Angeles. He had just fit, apparently got caught by TMZ. He had finished a nice steak dinner with Paul Heyman, carrying both of his championships. So I'm sure they knew, you know, the cameras were lurking, and the guy hadn't broken a sweat. He probably broke more of a sweat taking down that T-bone than he did taking down John Cena. And I just thought, my God, like, goes to work, he eats, he sleeps, he conquers, and he gets a T-bone steak out of the deal, and he's the champ. 
Yeah, I mean that's when when you look at Brock Lesnar's impressive resume, just in general, let alone SummerSlam history. That match and that massacre with those sixteen German suplexes, and I think Cena. I think when they did the statistics, he had like a minute and a half of like offensive maneuvers on Brock, and Brock just like you said, like dominated the entire match. Um, it, you know, slaughtering Cena, which brought you know Brock Lesnar's resume even further two years later where he was headlined against Randy Orton. And you and me personally, we've talked about this before that match took place, how much we wanted to see those two guys go at it based on their history and where they came from in OVW and how they had been kept apart for so long. And, you know, a lot of people will probably sit here listening to this as I tell you this and say that that match was horrible, the finish sucked, and I'm not going to get all insider on you, but... Watching that match and the way Brock's character had decimated Randy Orton, it still to this day makes me want to see a rematch between the two. Exactly. And you know what I will say? Having been in the building at the Barclays Center live for that one, that was a, that was a pretty nice card. It was a pretty stacked card. Yep. We saw a Seth Rollins-Finn Balor match in there. But you know what? That I came to see Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton. Yeah. I didn't care who won. I didn't care who lost. And to see it end the way it did... While I can certainly respect the creative uh, mindset behind it, like I said, I wanted to see those guys fly. You know what I mean? Yep. Spread their wings and let them do what they do best. Uh, I guess I got a little too much of what I asked for because it was Mark <laughs> Lesnar who did what he did best. So, yeah. But again, it, it, there was a, a very palpable tension as that match went off and the show went off the air where it was people around the building going like, did I just watch something that wasn't supposed to happen? You know, he's Orton in a pool of his own blood, and just how the how they just executed the whole scenario made you believe that, given Brock Lesnar's personality, that he just said, "You know what? I'm not playing ball tonight. I'm gonna fuck it. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat the crap out of this boy. And this boy is a legend killer, Randy Orton. So yeah. again, taking down another all time great and, and doing it the way they did was probably the saving grace of it. But as a paying fan, I was none too pleased with it for sure. I was. And again, I hope they get another shot to do it again, just for that reason. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, we've talked about his character's dominance on, you know, at SummerSlam on his resume. But last year, going into the the Fatal Four Way match where he defended the Universal Championship, there Brock was anything but dominant. Uh, he had to, he had to contest with Samoa Joe and Roman Reigns, but more importantly, Braun Strowman and Braun Strowman pretty much kind of came out of the pack and 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 really left a mark um and and made people take notice of him by the way that he had just destroyed Brock Lesnar with those slams through the announce tables and Brock had to be taken out but at the same time because of who Brock is and how his character had been positioned and portrayed uh since probably since WrestleMania when he beat the Undertaker a few years prior him you know, showing some kind of vulnerability, I thought was a nice touch because you didn't see that often with him, but it made for a memorable moment that even though he, yes, he barely made it out of the match with the title, but even even with that, getting his ass kicked and getting it handed to him by Braun Strowman made for a pretty cool moment to see, even, you know, for Brock Lesnar. Yeah, to see a guy like that, and Braun is, a, I think, a perfect guy to, to be a part of this to see a guy that big kind of leave his feet and kind of 
have his weight thrown around a little bit is aesthetically cool. I look at a match like that, and I look at a guy like Brock Lesnar, who's so big ticket, and I go, you know what? He just beat the three of those guys. Why wouldn't he beat Braun Strowman two months later at No Mercy? Why wouldn't he beat Roman Reigns one-on-one at WrestleMania? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, and that's just my my psych out to myself. Like, why? Like, he's going to beat these three badasses in the ring. Yeah, it's not going to be easy, but he did it. So yeah. imagine how much easier it's going to be to do it with just one guy straight up and he fought all three of those guys separately in the last year since then. And for the most part, had had his way with them. So, I, But again, that would be consistent with who he is. So I guess they kind of... You, you kind of have to have a, a forgetful memory when it comes to, oh, well, he, he barely beat all three. He's going to be able to beat all of them separately. Pretty yeah. handily. All right. Next individual on this list. We touched upon him during uh, you know our, our testimonial on Brock. Uh, I'm going to go with Randy Orton. Randy Orton, uh, you know, who came up in the same class as Brock Lesnar, uh, managed to outlast Brock Lesnar during Brock Lesnar's hiatus from professional wrestling in WWE and really made a mark, you know, on, you know, SummerSlam and during that ruthless aggression era. You, You go back to his debut at SummerSlam in 2003, being a member of Evolution and basically, uh, you know, being chosen to, you know, help Triple H keep the World Heavyweight Championship in that Elimination Chamber match. Uh, follow that with his victory over Chris Benoit for the World Heavyweight Championship. Albeit it was short and it was a brief run, Orton beating Benoit, the caliber athlete that he is, for the World Heavyweight Championship so early in his run is definitely one of the most memorable SummerSlam moments there is in, in the in the uh, the event's history, despite the fact that, you know, considering what Benoit has done, I know WWE obviously doesn't highlight that anymore. They just highlight Orton's victory, uh, which brings us to another moment of Orton kind of rising up through the SummerSlam ranks would be uh, his match against The Undertaker at the 2005 SummerSlam, which was a rematch from uh, that, that year's WrestleMania. So it seems like in the first three years, Orton's SummerSlam matches and moments in terms of building his character just keeps getting better and better and better and he seems to be become more of an important role before i before we continue touching upon his resume uh what was your take on uh the ascension of randy orton and his importance to uh SummerSlam? um well randy orton the performer i think was Put in the right place to succeed, but I think once they realized how much better he could have been, I think he was sped along too fast. I don't think he necessarily... I mean, I enjoyed Benoit's title run. I didn't think Randy Orton needed to be the World Heavyweight Champion. I thought they had a great match. Um, I thought it was a little bit of too much too soon once he became the champion, because again, and very quickly, he, he was dropped out of contention, but you... you you can't look at any matches that Randy Orton's had on his on his resume at SummerSlam and said that they didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, Elimination Chamber for the world title, Benoit for the world title, The Undertaker. I mean, you could talk about Hulk Hogan. He wrestled, you know, he's wrestled very quickly in his career. Any guy who's ever meant anything in professional wrestling and to do have some of those matches at SummerSlam. I mean, it's it's hard to argue that, you know. They didn't look at him at, at those times and said that we need to have something for him on this yeah. show. 
So that speaks to how talented he was. I just think that they maybe have overplayed their hand at least early because I don't think he really reached that level until me personally. He, safely, he probably didn't reach it probably until like 2010. 2010, really? So As you being on that level of untouchable, brand-leading megastar because from that point on, from, from before that, Randy Orton and whatever he was doing at SummerSlam or anything else – was just about making sure he was on the right path. So you don't think that the... Just 2009, okay? He wrestles John Cena. They had those funky finishes where it was, you know, somebody entered the ring. He had his foot on the ropes. Um, they, they, they restarted the match like four or five times, and Orton ended up still winning and walking out the champion. Probably one of my favorite matches between those two because of the story that that told. But you don't think in 2009, coming off of the... the uh, the great buildup with him and Triple H heading into that WrestleMania, despite the fact that that match sucked. But you don't think be, everything his character did leading up to that and then following that, that he wasn't untouchable then? He was on the rise. Like, he didn't have, like, a trademark win to me, like, until and it wasn't at SummerSlam. But, you know, once he kind of became a babyface in 2010, I didn't really think he was... He was always, they were always looking to, to really make him. Mm-hmm. While he was a top guy, he was certainly not made until, you know, about 2010. And every attempt at SummerSlam was to make him. Again, that speaks to the skill level that he was at. He also caught some bad breaks. The guy broke his collarbone a couple times. You know what I mean? Tore, tore his rotator cuff. Yep. You know, suspensions came into, came into those, you know, to the equation. So... I mean, that, you get a little bit of good and bad with it, but I don't think he was a made guy. Like I said, probably not 2010. And I think the proof of that is, who did he work with in 2010? Sheamus. So now it was his turn to go make somebody else. You know okay. what I mean? Versus he was working with John Cena. He's working with The Undertaker. He's working with Chris Benoit. He's working with Triple H. You know, he's, he's in the ring with, with world-class studs. No. Now it was his turn to go put that shine on someone else. I think that's when they finally said, you know what? This is where he's at. This is He's finally here. It took us six, seven years. But you know what? Now he's on the big stage at a staple position where he could do that for somebody else. Well, you know, you know, I, you and I have similar thoughts and, 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 and theories when it comes to pro wrestling. And as you explained that in that manner, it, it came to me. You're absolutely 100% right. I didn't think of it like that, and here's why. You said it was time for him to make somebody else. 2010, he did that with Sheamus. The following year, Christian, one of his most underrated rivalries was with Christian. They had that great no-holds-barred match that year at SummerSlam. 2013, two years later, even though it it was limited action, he cashed in the Money in the Bank contract on Daniel Bryan with the help from Triple H and forming the authority to become WWE champion. In a sense, he was helping make, even though Daniel Bryan, in in some ways, I guess you could say, was made on his own because of the popularity that he had had with the audience, having a good bad guy like a Randy Orton certainly helped but make Daniel he was Bryan. Also ready to be the bad guy then, if that makes sense. Because he was now ready to make other guys... He was ready to be the bad guy that could be running away with the title. And certainly with the with the, the help of Triple H and the authority and everything built around that, he was ready to be that chicken shit 
bad guy. That, uh, to that that was that was credible. He had now had a body of work that had, that had get behind him to go. You know what? Like, damn, like he's that good, and he's got the authority. Shit. I mean, as you say that, I, I get where you're coming from, but I still go back to 2009 and how red hot he was as a bad guy. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, heading into that WrestleMania and then that whole entire year as the chicken shit champion, in my opinion. I mean, he had legacy backing him up and helping him steal victories and keep his title for the majority of 2009. Yeah, I, I, look how he won that title. He won it in a, in a tag team match. We talked about this before. Yeah, he should have won it at Mania. He should have won the title then. He didn't have a trademark victory, and I don't consider him winning the title just to get him that win back. A trademark victory. And then what did he do for the whole rest of the year? Again, he he, he amassed a good group around him, but at the same time, he hadn't been... He was still not quite that guy that he could have been until the next year. And then again, like I said, ready to make the rest of a lot of the guys. And again, back to 2013... He's in that spot where it's like, okay, I could see him in that role because he's done X, Y, and Z, and it doesn't help or it doesn't hurt to have the endorsement of the guy literally raising your hand, Triple H, as the ultimate a cerebral assassin to kind of prove that point. So that's where I where I come with that, and I think that was more of a trademark win than when he won the title two, you know, four or five years before. All right, as far as Orton goes, you know, in the last several years. He's kind of been up and down in terms of, you know, SummerSlam status. Uh, 2014, he worked with Roman Reigns, had an excellent match there. 2015, he had another match with Sheamus. 2016, the Brock match we touched upon. And then last year, he had that, like, squash with Rusev. Uh, Randy Orton, still a stud, probably, you know, up there as, as one of the top performers in all of WWE currently right now. Where do you see... Him going forward and his importance or impact, I should say, on the future, you know, in future SummerSlams to come. Uh, you would, with the skill set he has and the the body of work he's amassed, you would think he'd be a guy that they would call and say, "Hey, we got something for you," or "Hey, we'd like you to work SummerSlam. Who would you like to work with?" He comes off to me like a guy that doesn't want to be on the road 300 days a year, like a John Cena does. Mm-hmm. You know, he likes. He, he seems like he likes his time off. You see him on Instagram and social media. You know, on vacations with his family, and that's fine. I respect that. Doesn't seem he seems content with his his career, and whatever you know, how many however many zeros are at the end of his bank account, and that's great. Um, but again, I think. He's just at that level where if if he wants to be there, he he deserves a spot because his name's going to lift the profile of somebody else. And not just his name, the performance. The guy is one of the, the best we've seen in the last 20 years. So he he's going to be he's going to continue I think doing what he's been doing in the in the more recent years I think. Okay. All right, fair enough. All right. Put a bow on the uh, the, the Randy Orton SummerSlam resume. I'll let you choose the next guy. Um, I'm going to stick with I'm going to go with a, a former tag team partner of his Edge Rated R Superstar It's a good Edge. one um, Personally you know, And, I, and I'm not going to start at the beginning of his SummerSlam career But I would kind of say My favorite Edge moment at SummerSlam I, I don't know I, I, 
I kind of liked his stuff with Cena in 2006 because he had kind of had the rug pulled off from him earlier in the year. Yep. Kind of deserved a longer run. I get it. Cena's the man. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, he had eight months of built up, you know, frustration and anger and great stuff that he was doing in all that time where he was now even more qualified to be in the ring with Cena and hang with Cena. Yeah. And he did. And this was when Cena was still kind of on the rise. So, you know, to to me, you know, Cena was becoming the, the company's champion and Edge was becoming, like, the wrestling fans' champion. And, I don't know, they're just natural rivals, too. That's another thing. And I like I, th- I always like the, their, their rivalry and I certainly like the clash they had there at SummerSlam as being... A very defining moment for Edge, for sure, for in his career. Not just necessarily, you know, his Cena against Cena, but I mean, that was a very defining moment for him. I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I in Boston too. I think. right? Yep, it was in Boston. That, that's right. They, they, they headlined, main evented that that SummerSlam that year, uh, and they had a great series of matches. I can't take away, you know, anything that you said there. But for me personally, when I think of Edge and I think of SummerSlam. Um, you, you can't help but not think of his contribution with that TLC match with Christian against the Hardys and Dudleys that year in 2000. Uh, one of the, the, the greatest tables, ladders, and chairs matches in the, uh, the, the history of the concept. But this may surprise you a little bit. Um, and I didn't appreciate this then, but I appreciate it more now. I dig the Edge-Matt Hardy match from 2005 based on the fact that it was so raw and so real and everyone, you know, insider fans and smart marks, everyone had a, you know, a, a, a inside information or they thought they did on how it all went down and they, you know, WWE management creative kind of let this storyline, um, you know, transpire and take place on their programming. And when the match took place, it was a short you know, very physical, hard-hitting match. And when the, the, the finish came, when Edge had, um, you know, kicked Matt Hardy in the head and he was bleeding, you know, profusely, I was like, damn it, I was really looking forward to seeing these guys tear, tear each other apart some more. But at the same time, now that I appreciate it more as I'm older, it made a lot of sense for that match to go down the way it did. Because... It wasn't a wrestling match. It was a fight. It was between two guys that hated each other because one guy stole the other guy's girl. And the physicality between the two of them um, ending so quickly like that. I mean, I've been in a couple of scraps and, you know, a, a real, you know, not many, but I've been in a couple. And in a real fight, you're not killing each other for 25, 30 minutes like you do in pro wrestling. Whereas these two beat the crap out of each other and Edge got the better, you know, the upper hand. And what I really dug more about this, not only the fact of how realistic the beating was and how short the, you know, realistic in terms of the time of the match, but this was like, I don't know, I felt like. Edge's character kind of turned a corner in terms of like the aggression in the same way that Triple H kind of turned the corner with his aggression when he was in his rivalry with Mick Foley. You know, Foley's character brought it out of Triple H, but something, and maybe I can't really put my finger on it right now, but something brought that aggression and that 
yeah, that aggression out of edge for him to beat the shit out of Matt Hardy the way he yeah. did. All that makes sense. I guess, again, going back to the storyline of that match, Edge stole his girl, and I don't know. I mean, I guess it was cool in retrospect to see that they went in the other direction, but I would have liked to see Matt Hardy get his revenge a little bit. And he really didn't. He, they ended up working a, a couple more matches together, and then eventually there was a loser leaves Raw match, and Matt's, Matt Hardy's in SmackDown, and it was like this dude just got his girl taken from him. You know, where's where's the where's the the redemption? You know that we're so used to seeing, and maybe yeah. that was the genius of it. I don't know, but you know that was I think like you said, I was looking forward to a to a, just a, a bloodbath, and the realism was all great. But I would have liked a Matt Hardy win there because you know. Being a homewrecker is not cool. So no, no, not at all. And and the, you know, the the aggression with Edge and the the importance that his character brought to SummerSlam, you know, uh, intensified three years later in two thousand eight with Undertaker in that Hell in the Cell match, which was the first Hell in the Cell under the WWE PG standards uh, that year in 2008. And you just saw Edge's character go from aggressive to, as the, you know, the, the term goes batshit crazy. I, um, I think everyone's most memorable part of that match was going through the ring. Um, but yeah, it, like you said, the first one in the PG era, it certainly was not a memorable one, or maybe it was because of its lack of, um, violence, violence, uh, but you know what? I think it was. I, I liked and I thought it was kind of cool that they threw that spot at the end with the you know going through the ring and the fire and everything like that. So not as mo- certainly nowhere near the uh, the top of his resume at SummerSlam. But uh, you know what? It's you. Know, hey, if if I had worked a match with the Undertaker and he uh, gave me the Three Stooges eye poke. Um, you know what? I would have called that probably the most successful and most meaningful match of my career if that was all that happened to me. So, I mean, it's really hard to argue with that. All right, let's shift gears a little bit, and uh, you know, we, we 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 touched upon him, you know, while we were discussing Edge. Let's let's get into an individual who, um, you know, obviously synonymous with WrestleMania, but the longest tenured uh, wrestler in the, uh, the the WWE, Undertaker. I mean, his resume at SummerSlam is, you know, as uh, you know, as long as the day. I mean, the things that he's done, that, that his character, good and bad. Matt okay? Classics with Giant Gonzalez. That's right, the Kamala. rest in peace match. Yep, Kamala, 92. Oh, my God, Dave Meltzer. Undertaker. Undertaker versus Undertaker. To you, think he could wrestle yourself, but you know what? By God, he did it. You know, I wrestle with myself every single day. <laughs> in the shower, in the mirror. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the first few years were n- not very kind to The Undertaker um, in terms of... But uh, anyway, 365, man, not just at SummerSlam. That guy was working with empty bottles of Coca-Cola Yeah, and said, get it over, man. Yeah, Um but the turning point, I think, in my opinion, for his character at SummerSlam was in 96 with the Boiler Room Brawl, something we had never seen before. And we kind of touched upon it a little bit in the, uh, the, uh, the, the SummerSlam watch-along a few weeks ago, where, you know, Mankind's character brought it to The Undertaker. And Undertaker, you know, had been known for... Working all those giants like we discussed, Kamala, Giant Gonzalez, his you know, 
the Undertaker himself, and he is now up against a a guy smaller in stature, but crazier than some of those big giants. Um, to me, this is where I felt, in my opinion, Undertaker's matches were much more exciting and less uh, slow and prodding when it came to uh, his resume at SummerSlam. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. Like I said, it was more shocking, I think, to me as a kid, seeing a guy that was very average and doughy-looking despite the visuals of a mask and, you know, rats crawling all over him. I just, you know, like that guy beating down on The Undertaker and making it so believable, you know, for a guy such as with such a acclaim as The Undertaker had, that was like, that was to me the takeaway. It was like, he, like, you thought even then The Undertaker was going to buck up. But he didn't, and he and he and he, he took the beating from mankind. But um, I think, in all honesty, you know my my probably my favorite Undertaker moment from SummerSlam. It, it, there was he. Okay, I won't say it's my favorite, but it's certainly up there as far as like the Undertaker's always had a, a you know those returns. You know how many times has he returned out of nowhere? A very surprise, shocking return. And I and I will go back to. That uh, that year when CM Punk left SummerSlam standing tall against Jeff Hardy, the lights went out, and then the lights came back on, and The Undertaker was right there. In the, I think he was like laying there right in between him, like where Jeff Hardy had been, where he was standing over Jeff yep, Hardy. Yep. Like, I'm not going to act like I didn't see it coming, but it was still just cool as shit. Oh, and, yeah. And that's kind of what The Undertaker brought to to um, events where he didn't necessarily contribute in, a, in any type of you know, competitive fashion, and, you know, well, yeah, I'm going to stick with that. It's probably my favorite Undertaker moment from SummerSlam, because coming out of the summertime, it's a great, you know, that feud ending, or more more than likely at the time ending, you know, it was, okay, turn the page, what's next for CM Punk as WWE Champion, and what better way to go is the is with The Undertaker, and to, to do it in that type of surprise fashion, I think, was really, really cool. Now, let's just take a, a, a quick look at his resume because we've kind of joked about it here. All right. I'm seeing a pattern here when it comes to the match quality and the where his character was portrayed on these SummerSlams. Okay. 92, 93, 94, 95. He wrestles Kamala, the Giant Gonzalez, the Fake Undertaker, and the Supreme Fighting Machine, Kama. Uh,. You know, all guys that are not regarded as, you know, technical wrestling masters, so to speak. I touched upon 96 being the, the turning point for Undertaker where his match quality against his you know opponents had kind of um, risen above, you know, the previous SummerSlam matches. Mankind, we've talked about it at great length in our Trading Places episode and our SummerSlam 97 watch-along, the title match with Brett. And then... He kind of goes. He kind of dips back down, in my opinion. I feel like he hits his. You know, it's a roller coaster when it comes to Undertaker and his uh, his SummerSlam performances. Now, mind you, at the same time, he's got a lot of good. He's got a lot of bad in these performances. But each one of these matches, you were made to feel like they were important because the Undertaker was in them. You know, ninety eight 
championship match against Steve Austin in Madison Square Garden. 1999, wins the tag team titles with Big Show against X-Pac and Kane. 2000, wrestles Kane. 2001, him and Kane beat DDP and Canyon for the for the tag team title. Yawn. Yeah, you know, 02, he wrestles Test from the Un-Americans. 03, it's Ugh. A-Train. 04, he's in a title match with JBL, helping make JBL a more credible champion. 05, Orton, which was probably... You're, he was coming back. Yeah, he was kind of coming back. Oh, He's right in the corner there. Oh, 08 with Edge. Oh, 09, you mentioned the return. 2010, he made a, an appearance against Kane with Mysterio. And then 2015, his last SummerSlam match against Brock Lesnar. Um, despite the fact, like I said, that Undertaker's uh, you know resume is shoddy at best at times, at least for me as a fan, aside from all the you know insider terms and everything that you read, I was made to feel like each one of these appearances, these matches at SummerSlam with The Undertaker were important. Yeah, and I think, too, like that speaks to like how highly regarded he was to those who make those decisions because within a year of him being day one, you know what I mean, Hartford, Connecticut, there was, you know, all the, the, the steam behind him to be the baddest guy that the company was see and come down the aisle so very quickly once he became you know top dog or even you know you know it was his yard very quickly it was like oh great you're a made guy now you beat hogan you've been the champion how about you just take this guy who's seven foot seven wearing airbrush pajamas and uh make him the baddest sob that there is uh why don't you take this guy who's got moons on his belly, and you know what I mean? He slaps his belly around. Make him a monster. Remember him? He was a monster 10 years ago. Can you do that with him this time? You know what I mean? Like, like meanwhile, this guy's probably like, guys, I, I, I'm just like, come on. Like, can I get a run? Yeah. Can I, like, come on. Like, I'm like I'm not a jobber to the stars here. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just holding these guys' hands for a little while, and... He's box office, you know what I mean? And, and it's funny you say that because he works with Steve Austin at Madison Square Garden. How is that match not talked about more? Just Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker at Madison Square Garden. Like, that's a WrestleMania marquee right there. All right, here's why. Here, like, I'll, my goodness. All right, I'll give you a reason. SummerSlam's a good place to put it, but it certainly didn't have the cachet that I think it would have today. For me personally, here's why that match doesn't get talked about enough. A couple of reasons. Number one, Austin suffered a concussion in that match that a lot of people knew about, and therefore the quality of the match had um, had affected that. Two, I feel like the match went too long. I, I watching that match as a teenager, uh, I I was like, you know, when's this shit gonna be over with? Not that like the action wasn't good, but I just felt like it was. It just kind of went too long for me. I, I, I was kind of hoping, you know, I think the match went, you know, almost 30 minutes. And I think if they could have shaved off, you know, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, I think it would have been a, a very exciting match. And um, thirdly, I just, the, another reason why that match doesn't get talked about enough, I think, is because for me as a kid, building up to that match, the storyline 
was awesome with you know the questioning of you know Kane's allegiance and you know his, is he is he aligned with his brother Undertaker and you had Mr. McMahon kind of playing a role in that and really driving that you know being the straw that stirs the drink a little bit really to get to Austin but at the same time you know Undertaker you know he's kind of in between he wants the championship but he you know he he's also got this bond with his brother and I felt like the results of that match um between uh undertaker and austin had um i don't know i was just expecting like a like a a, the finish was very anticlimactic for me like i didn't think it was like you know boom stunner it was over and then kane standing there waiting for undertaker it's like aren't you gonna go in there and like beat the crap out of stone cold like are we there wasn't really well i didn't feel like there was an official confirmation that the two of them were together it was just like kind of like all right guys you know, I guess I'm looking at it more from the angle of like, and again, it's probably different in 2018, but I think you, I look at it from the angle of, you just, you know, on paper, I'm not talking like the hype, there was no like, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't, I don't recall this hype of almost this dream match of sorts. Granted, they had already worked together numerous times, but it was SummerSlam. Yeah. It was Madison Square Garden. It was who you would probably call two of the top five guys in the history of WWE, even right now. And they're working in the world's most famous arena. And and I don't know if you would call SummerSlam that level of a show in 1998, but it's still those guys in that arena with that environment. And it didn't really have that... It didn't really have that feel of... Not once in a lifetime, if you will, but of 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 greater importance to history versus just what was happening between Kane and Vince McMahon and all of that. I just felt like, my God, if you did this match now, you could put it on any building in the world and it sells out because it's those two guys. And you could have done that then, but because those guys were that, they were that hot. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I get where you're coming from. You could have just put more juice into it on the way in, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, they I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to, try and correct you if I'm wrong because you know I'm not going to tell you you know what you felt or how you felt but you know they had you know damn near six almost eight weeks when they announced that title match ahead of time you know in that summer and that summer in some ways I think yes there was great build-up but I almost felt like the build-up was too long for it um and there were so much you know twists and turns along the way some good some not so good that um by the time we got to the match you know, it's like, all right, you've hyped this up. Like, it's a it's a huge deal. Now, like, I feel like you need to deliver. And I don't think they delivered, but I think there's a number of reasons why that was the case. But like you said, you know, M- Madison Square Garden, those two names, why wasn't it made a bigger deal? number of reasons, at least in my opinion. But, yeah. As we, uh, as we move on here with our, uh, you know, our important, uh, you know, uh, SummerSlam... Uh, resume here with some of the, uh, the 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 names that we've discussed. Why don't we uh, why, don't, why don't we let you take it here? We went with Undertaker. Let's roll with. I don't know if we could give him the moniker Mister SummerSlam, but he certainly has the moniker Mister WrestleMania. Let's go with the heartbreak. All here. right, there we go. Fair enough. All right, kick things off. Um, I think, for my recollection. My moments with Shawn Michaels and SummerSlam, my probably my first, my first one that I could probably recall watching 
whether it was in per at in real time or shortly thereafter was his his uh role as the outside manager for big daddy cool diesel in SummerSlam 94 at the United Center, uh, Diesel faced Razor. Sean was in the corner of his bodyguard, Diesel, and Razor had Walter Payton as his... Um, sweetness. Sweetness, yeah. Sweetness, um, Walter Payton. Uh, it, nice twist on the whole bodyguard gimmick, for sure. And I think they were doing that to get Diesel more over. What I do remember from that was the the breaking news aspect of what happened right before that match started. Uh, the night before in Indianapolis, at, at, Indiana. Okay, that's kudos to you. You get brownie points. Um, <laughs> I would have said like Altoona, Pennsylvania or something, which wouldn't have been far off, I guess. But uh, Shawn Michaels and Diesel captured the WWF World Tag Team titles, beating the Head Shrinkers, um, which... You see it every once in a while now. I think the last time they did it was AJ Styles winning the United States title against Kevin Owens at the at Madison yep. Square Garden. Yeah, last what, year. Last year. Yeah. Um, which I mean, I could, it, you know, I like when they do those little things where it's kind of like, all right, while you were gone, since the last time we saw each other, as far as relationship yeah. with the audience is concerned, and you know, the the the, the broadcast, this is what happened, yeah. and it's like, wow, that like. I was just expecting to see Diesel fight Razor for the t- you know the Intercontinental title. Like we're getting this now, yeah. So that I thought was really cool. And again, that's not really related to Shawn Michaels so much as far as his impact there. But going to the following year, I know people love that WrestleMania ladder match, but for my money, as a fan who watched that 1995 SummerSlam ladder match, I thought that ladder match was just awesome. Um, they, I think it lived up to those expectations. You know, even as a young kid, I was like, "That's just that's just the coolest thing ever." And and as a, I never really was a Razor Ramon fan, so I liked Shawn Michaels kind of coming, at, getting that win back because I thought he was always better. You know what I mean? Even going back, you know, Shawn Michaels in defeat was often better than he was in victory. Um, kind of like Mick Foley, absolutely. And to me, that was a validating win. Not that I thought that he was okay. He's the world champion now, but it was like okay. He's checked that off the box. It's now on to bigger and better things. He kind of got that monkey off his back, and he, and eventually that's what it ended up being when he be, you know as he became the champion about six months later. But I, that was probably there's a lot of hard ones for Sean. But it's, in the early years, I would say that's probably one of the ones that I like to look back on fondly because it was early on in the ladder match uh, craze that we see today. For sure, yeah. It was uh, it was a nice treat too at the time when they when they announced that match because originally the plans were Sean and Sid for the Intercontinental Title, and for whatever reason I don't know what the the behind the scenes reason was, but Gorilla Monsoon decided that he wanted to give a match that the fans would want to see at SummerSlam, and that's why he had chosen for Sean and Razor to have that WrestleMania ten ladder match. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. That it didn't take. It wasn't you know maybe. More than two weeks. Probably, when they, I when feel they like it was kind of tight, and but you know what? Uh, you know, let's you know. You would hope Girl Monsoon was around today to help give us more of what we want because that's the kind of like. That, I mean, that's cool. Like, not everything has to be like. All right, we've got three weeks till the next pay per view. Yeah. Let's book this match yeah. with this guy, and let's have it all written out. It's a yeah. very fluid process, and and it, at least then, and I'm sure in many ways now they. They listen to what the audience said, you know, is telling them. 
Um, oh, for sure. Despite what people are going to want to argue, um, what you know, the, they're the greatest source of of, uh, of market data, if you will. And I think they decided, you know what, Sid and Shawn Michaels ain't doing it for anybody. Let's let's kind of let's dust off the ladder and, and let these guys go. And I'm glad they did because, um, like I said, I didn't get the chance to see the first one live. And it was probably a while, a long while after the fact that I got to see it and go, wow, okay, that was pretty cool, but. You know, to see this one live and to see Sean kind of, like I said, get that win back, I thought was more preparing him to be where he deserved to be yeah. at that point. And then, you know, you said six months later wins the title. He goes to the following year, SummerSlam, as the WWF champion against Vader. And for me personally, uh, we might have discussed this off air, but, um, you know, I was... I, I, I wasn't a I wasn't a huge Vader fan. I watched some, his stuff in WCW, but I was really looking forward to this match. And we all know the backstory a little bit, you know, behind the issues that Vader and Michaels had, especially during that match. But for me, I felt Sean always played the smaller guy very well. You know, coming up from underneath against the bigger guys. Proof is in the pudding. His match with Diesel at the In Your House. Uh, 1990, April of 96, Good Friends, Better Enemies. His matches with Sid, um, you know, even his matches with Undertaker following this match. But this is probably my favorite Shawn, with one of my favorite Shawn Michaels SummerSlam matches because Vader was just such an intimidating figure. He bounced him around and, and beat the crap out of him. And that match against Shawn was the closest to Vader from WCW that I had, that I'd remembered. Yeah. And in I, will, I will say this. One of the, my, one of my memories, especially in our childhood before the attitude era and, you know, our religious purchasing of pay-per-views, which probably started in like 98. Uh, I recall, you know, we did probably what a million of other wrestling fans did is we'd listen to the pay-per-view as the pay-per-view signal couldn't get you the video the squiggly lines squiggly lines yeah <laughs> um you know mo- you know many kids talk about how they watched porno movies and yeah. porno and all that stuff but you know in our house it was you watch you watch the wrestling shows or listened to the wrestling and shows. dad used to be like what are you guys doing you can't even see it and we'd be mm. like it's like wrestling on the radio yeah or you know, or, or you, you know it'd, it'd be bedtime and you know we'd go and turn it on and have it on as loud as we possibly could without yeah. being heard and then one of us would have the remote in hand for when that door opened, you turn it off real quick and you're back. Yeah. So, so I remember this one because I, again, going, you not to harp on the mankind Undertaker stuff, but I, you know, there were periods of time where like the signal would give you like a half second of something. And I remember watching the mankind Undertaker boiler room brawl and being like, oh my God, like you saw something. It, you couldn't make out what exactly it was, but you saw something. To this point, going back to Michaels and Vader, I recall listening and hearing that Vader had won. By count out, or had one or something to some effect. It started, and, it, and Jim Cornette was like, "There's a count out, yeah." Listen here, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> like he he forced the match to be restarted. And I remember as a fan, and I was a fan of Shawn Michaels, despite my strong diehard allegiance to Brett. And I was like, "Like Shawn, what are you doing? No, like yeah, you 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 got out of here a lot, barely alive. Like you won, get out of here." Yeah. But the fighting Shawn Michaels would get in the ring and. At some point, maybe the TV had gotten shut off at that point, but I was just like praying almost like, I hope when I wake up tomorrow morning, I find out that Shawn Michaels is still the WWF champion because that was just blasphemous that he would step back in the ring with a guy like Vader. There's no way he could, you know, 
you know, like, you know, how many how many lives does a cat have? But at the same time, he was that fighting champion. He was that quintessential good guy in some ways where it was like, all right, you want to go again? I'll defend my title, no problem, and I'll beat you. And then, you know, the next finish came, and he had used Cornette's tennis racket, and, you know, he was DQ'd, and Cornette said, hell no, I didn't come to Cleveland, Ohio, so I could lose and not take the WWF title, and blah, 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 blah. And then, lo and behold, you know, they restart the match, and Michaels eventually won. It turned out it was a no-disqualification match. It's probably one of the very underrated Shawn Michaels matches, especially, and just underrated SummerSlam matches in general. Um, but yeah, it's funny that you brought up the, uh, the, the, the squiggly lines and you also mentioned the, uh, you know, the fighting spirit of Shawn Michaels, which brings us to another classic SummerSlam match that he was a part of the 2002, uh, non-sanctioned affair, which, uh, my buddy Chris Donovan and I, we covered last week in our, my favorite series, head on over to SoundCloud right now, search kicking out at two. You'll find that in the archives. Uh, it's a, it's it's kind of a watch along. We we discuss it in long form, and then we we watch the match. Uh, but that was the um, the turning point in 2002 for Michael's full time return to WWE, and he would last eight years. And within those eight years, um, some great matches. A personal favorite of mine. If I'm gonna go, Shawn Michaels' favorite match at SummerSlam. This may or may not surprise you. You know, I like the ladder match. I think it's awesome. I thought it was a great match. And I like the Vader match. But, you know, I'm allowed to have more than one favorite. And I really dug Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan, SummerSlam 2005. I did too. Um, You know, we both sit on, you know, different decades of where we fell in love with wrestling. And your your decade was Hulk Hogan. Mine was a mixture of guys. Uh, but Shawn Michaels would certainly be one of those guys. Uh, so without a doubt, n- even knowing what the result was probably going to be, I certainly wanted Shawn Michaels to kind of represent the 90s a little bit and, you know, to me prove why he's, in my opinion, the greatest in-ring performer that's ever laced up a pair of boots and show Hulk Hogan, you know what, man, it takes more than, you know, cupping your ear and ripping a T-shirt to really show these fans you are what's up. Um, but you know, that didn't work for someone. Um, (laughs) you know, for me, brother. Yeah. So that is what it is, but it was, I think a fantastic match. And I think I give, you know, I, you can't say Hulk Hogan doesn't deserve any credit for that, but, um, Shawn Michaels gets the lion's share of it. Shawn Michaels put, gave Hulk Hogan probably one of the best matches of his career, especially on that stage. At, at, at that time in his life, too, you know, his, his, his age. He wasn't, you know, a full-time performer, Hogan, obviously. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. I think, um, and that that was one of those, you know, if we go back to Austin and Undertaker for a second, that's that's what they could have done with Austin and Undertaker. Icon is, versus legend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and granted, those guys were still on the trajectory up, and they still hadn't had this legendary status yet like those two did. But, boy, oh, boy, something like that, you know, would, would have meant so much more then. And, again, they were able to capitalize on that. And I think, honestly, you know, if we're talking about the growth of SummerSlam, this was a match that I think helped the overall growth of that event because it started to – they really started to position that SummerSlam – I think in the out in front as, all right, WrestleMania is done. Now we got to start building our spring and our summer to SummerSlam. Summer Slam, yeah. And if we got to steal a house with a, with a box office attraction match, we, we can do it. We've got Sean. Let's call Hulk Hogan. Let's do what we have to do. And I think you saw more of that in years coming because yeah. 
it was like a mini WrestleMania in yeah. that sense. And I think, my God, who, who you, gonna, you know, who better to put in the ring than those two guys? And you honestly, and to 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 to, to tie that up with the, with those two guys, you never thought I never thought I'd see Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan. Those guys never cross paths yeah. in professional wrestling. Hogan was out, Shawn was in, and then when Hogan was in, Shawn was out. They never crossed paths. So to see the association that they created together to build to that angle to then and get them to in, in the ring, I thought that was just that was all types of cool from yep. from good and bad. And I you know, and the you know, all the realness that they put into that that bled through that you could tell was, you know, the doing of others I thought was just badass for sure well when watching that unfold at that time in 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 real time uh i had the feeling the same feeling i had when i was a kid when hulk hogan and randy savage united and became the mega powers i was a big you know hogan savage and michaels are my top three of 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 all time and my personal favorites i'm not going to go ahead and rank you know greatest of all time because that's another discussion for another day but those three were my favorites and i've i lived through hogan and savage uh, in many different incarnations both in wwf and in wcw i never thought i would live through hulk hogan Shawn michaels and that was one of my dream matches so to see that unfold you know to face one another the feeling i had knowing that two of my favorites were going to face each other was the same feeling i had when two of my favorites were going to team together like hogan and randy savage and that's what i felt watching that now question here to kind of you know put an exclamation point on the end of the Shawn michaels SummerSlam resume we know his importance to wrestlemania we know what he's brought to wrestlemania and helped establish at wrestlemania with his show stealing performances how important was Shawn Michaels to SummerSlam? Uh, Board again, Shawn Michaels was huge to SummerSlam. Um, I think the the character Shawn Michaels, you know, they didn't think they would get much out, out of him out after Triple H and Shawn Michaels 2002. Yeah. They were, everything was extra. And, you know, 2002 and beyond Shawn Michaels was, in my opinion, light years ahead of the 90 Shawn Michaels that, you know, the Dave Meltzer's of the world would say is the greatest wrestler that isn't Japanese. Um, <laughs> so, to me, Shawn, that Shawn Michaels, I mean, everything he touched for those final eight years turned to gold. And SummerSlam was an event, much like WrestleMania, where you made a space for Shawn Michaels. And if it was a money match like that one great but oftentimes it was all right man go go steal the show just like you do at mania do it here and he did a little bit of both of that here i would say all right he's up there most definitely all right fair enough um my turn now let me think here uh who we got left on this list i'm not going to spoil it for you until we announce it but uh one individual Here's an individual who had a short reign of of matches at SummerSlam. Not very many, but effective nonetheless. Mick Foley. Mick Foley, I feel, um, despite the fact that he had, you know, one, two, three, four, five matches in the history of SummerSlam, uh... Going, you know, four in a row from 96 to 99, then his last one being in 2006. Um, I felt he's one of those guys. I mean, Mick Foley, in my opinion, and I know you're a big Foley guy. 
very underrated on many levels in terms of what he brought to the industry. In some ways, he does get forgotten about at times. I think in the SummerSlam conversation, it's something he shouldn't be forgotten about. Um, but I think he's one of those guys that really helped kind of hold the glue together in terms of his presence on a SummerSlam card. You know, 96, the Boiler Room Brawl. 97, the cage match that opened, you know, that year's SummerSlam against Hunter. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, I should say. Uh, 98, um, he was a big part of, you know, you know, Monday Night Raw and the Attitude Era. He was in that echelon, that top four with Kane and Undertaker and Austin. And even though he was relegated to a handicap match with the New Age Outlaws, um, he still made it fun and entertaining. And it, it, for me as a fan, not one of my favorite moments, but I certainly remember it for sure for the performance that he put on, even though it was a short match. And, uh, you know, winning the title the following year to the I Quit match with Ric Flair in 2006. That's probably my favorite. That, because that one, that's yeah. another one like Mike, like Michaels and Hogan. You just never thought you'd see. And I remember getting that book that Ric Flair wrote to be the man. And uh, you know, I remember reading that line. You know that Mick Foley will is nothing more will not be nothing more than a glorified stuntman. And I I read that like whoo like as a fan of again I to me the Nature Boy Ric Flair is body of work. You know, five tool performer, you know, greatest of all time. Yeah. Um, and you know, I I love that guy. That like, oh man, I can't even. We could have a whole episode about about my affinity for the Nate. But um, we'll do that at some point. I'm sure. So to see that uh, symbolism of what wrestling is and what wrestling should be, and sports entertainment for that matter, going against. Everything Mick Foley represented, the clash of styles, and then the realism that they brought based on what came out of that book and how Foley took that to heart, rightfully so. Oh my God, I cannot wait to see that match happen. It was an awesome match, top to bottom. Uh, the way it finished, you know, with Molina showing up and kind of it bringing in that uh, ugly duckling type. You know, pretty girl fawns over the, 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 the ugly guy type thing. Feel sorry for him. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and it was believable. And, you know, Ric Flair, the dirtiest player in the game, he'll do whatever it takes. And you realized even then, especially in that WWE run of his, you know, through some of those hardcore matches he, he competed in, that he would do whatever it takes. And it didn't just, you know, you know, lend itself to when the ref turned their back. It lend itself to no disqualifications, I quit matches, TLC matches. My God, oh my God, that was that was definitely. I think if you had to put a, a, a top ten list of or top twenty list of SummerSlam matches, that's in there because that was just such a emotional match for sure. Yeah, I I'm gonna agree with you. Is that's probably despite my how much I love the Boiler Room Brawl with him and Undertaker from that SummerSlam in '96. The 06 SummerSlam with the I Quit match um, was definitely, uh, for me, a, a, a personal favorite. And the reason why I enjoyed it so much, like you, for the many reasons that you discussed, but as much as I love Ric Flair, um, you know, he was obviously, you know, past his prime at that point. He was still a viable character on the program, but I didn't feel like he needed to wrestle and... Maybe Foley brought the best out of him. 
in this instance because totally agree. because Absolutely. I I didn't I wasn't the the biggest Ric Flair fan during this run as much as and we'll talk about this I'm sure in another show but as much as I enjoyed the send off WWE gave him at that WrestleMania a couple years later and you know how emotional that was and the match with Shawn um, I wasn't you know. I wasn't tuning in to watch Ric Flair whenever he was on TV unless he was working with certain people. And when he was with Mick Foley, it made me tune in because I think Foley brought something out of him that either he didn't know he had or he once had and he had lost it. And so I think that was one of the main reasons why I enjoyed that rivalry. It made me care about watching Flair in some ways. As much as you know, people might shit all over me for saying like... It's got to be fair to Flair. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if you want to be fair to Flair, you got to... <laughs> But no, in all seriousness, I wasn't like I, I just during this during this run with Flair, I didn't really enjoy his wrestling, so to speak. But this match in particular, hundred percent, totally behind it. Probably my favorite Mick Foley SummerSlam match. As we move on here on this uh, this uh, SummerSlam countdown, if you will. No, I wouldn't say it's a countdown, but it's more or less a a list compiling of some of the most important. Uh, you know, figures in the history of SummerSlam. And then when we get towards the end of this discussion, you and I are going to individually and respectfully, uh, uh, respectively, I should say, pick our Mount Rushmore of SummerSlam. But that's later on the show. How about you uh, you, you pick the next guy? Uh, probably another guy that I would put in a class as far as my adoration for. More so than even Ric Flair. More so than... Any athlete in any sport, based on my growing up, my upbringing, it's Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, my God, um, there is just so much for me to just chew on here. Uh, Brett Hart, to me, if there's a Mr. SummerSlam, it might be him. I agree, 100%. Um, 100%. Uh, he, he, again, it's the body of work is not as big as, say, those who claim a Mr. WrestleMania moniker or anything like that. But if you needed someone to deliver during the 1990s and it wasn't WrestleMania or, you know, it was WrestleMania, whatever it was, Bret Hart was that guy. Uh, you know, I didn't, I, I recall watching, you know, our chopped up recording on VHS of, of SummerSlam 1991 and seeing Bret Hart best Mr. Perfect, Mr. Perfect, excuse me lock him in that sharpshooter, tear off the tights, and he's and he's running around in his skivvies. And Bret Hart's the new Intercontinental Champion. His parents are in the crowd. Madison Square Garden. At that point, Mr. Perfect was perfect. And he was bested by the excellence of execution. And that, to me, you know, as a fan who saw it later, I knew this is where it all started for the Hitman. So um, that, one, that one's got a soft spot in my heart. Um, but I don't know. What about you? What do you, what would you say? I think is a what would you say is a is, is a top Bret Hart moment at SummerSlam? You know, I'm I'm glad you brought that moment up. I was uh, I was a youngin when SummerSlam '91 took place. I was I believe I was eight years old when that when that that occurred, and uh, that was at that age. You know, obviously there was no such thing as internet back then, and um, I didn't know what a dirt sheet or Dave Meltzer and his five-star, 12-star point system was um, at the time. But that was 
the first wrestling match that I saw and I was young and I said to myself, like, wow, that was like, I didn't see it in those, these exact words, but I, in my mind, I was, I said it in so many different ways, probably, but wow, that was a classic. Like that was the first like wrestling match. Like, and as I grew up and I continued watching wrestling and became a little more sophisticated in my viewing of it, um, I would always hearken back to that match. Uh, you know, you know, when they talk all time classics, you know, I would always hearken, well, you can't not discuss Brett and Mr. Perfect, despite the fact that, you know, knowing this years later that Mr. Perfect was suffering from a severe back injury and still put on hell of a performance and you know what, against that's Brett. Like- Years later, you know, and that's that's the greatness I think of a show like this and others that that go after you know you know what made us fans is when we hear these stories later, you know, the back injury of Mister Perfect yep. and what Brett had to do and Perfect to to put on that classic. Go a year later, and and the stories of Davy Boy Smith being you know stat you know having a staff infection and and pretty much walking off the plane, you know, in London coked out of his mind, drugged out of his mind, and Bret Hart destined, you know, in his mind to put on a classic match and to main event that that arena, the Wembley Stadium, and put on, which was probably up until Shawn Michaels made his impact, was probably the greatest match in the history of the company at that point. Bell to bell at ni- in 1992. I I mean I'd have to disagree with you. I know you weren't alive when this took place, but Steamboat Savage WrestleMania three. You, you know, and that's you, fair. You know, but, but, you, but you're gonna those are the two. Yeah, at that in 1992, if it it had surpassed everything else, and it would, and it would challenge, and in many people's eyes, surpass Steamboat and Savage. Yeah. But that again, to see Bret Hart do that to, with the Bulldog, uh, again, I wasn't a, I wasn't you know old enough to to recall it as it happened but in history shows that you know in defeat Bret Hart was the best professional wrestler on the planet that after that night and you knew he was destined for bigger and better things despite what had happened and I you know and to jump off that you know probably even more so my favorite you know and this is probably my all-time Bret Hart favorite is 1994 that's cage off. match with Owen Hart. You took it. You took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, and 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 I'll let you elaborate further, but I but I, I will say that again, the culmination of the of of the brothers feud and having the entire Hart family at ringside, and you know having the involvement of them, and having a cage match where it wasn't centered around gore and blood, and it was very much about escaping the cage and and the psychology they put together, and uh, you know the 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 biggest two parts of that match I remember were the superplex off the top of the cage and then uh Owen Hart getting tangled at the end of the match hanging hanging with his, with his boot hanging off yep um just such an unbelievable match um you know that to me as a as the fan of Brett who believed he was better than Owen to finally get that win back after WrestleMania uh to further cement that he is the better heart to me, it was just further vindication of what I, what many of us already knew is that he was, you know, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. I mean, uh, you know, you can't argue '92, Davy and, and Brett in Wembley Stadium, uh, probably one of my favorite matches to watch. Not only because of the story that the two men told, but I'm a big mark for open, you know, air, outdoor, 
stadium shows, especially if it's even in the daytime. That's one of the reasons why WrestleMania 31 is probably one of my favorite events to watch because how it came across on television. And the story going into it, obviously, with Brett and Davey being related and there's like a wedge in the family. That was really what started, I guess, the Hart family dissension, so to speak. Um, you know, Brett being the, like you said, at the end of that, even in defeat, he was still the best professional wrestler um, in that match. And, uh, you know, definitely one of my favorites. But the favorite, the favorite Bret Hart match, and this is my favorite. This is, I'll go on record as to say it's in my top three of steel cage matches of all time. I was a big cage match guy when I was a it's kid. It's definitely number one for me. I'm going to say that now. Yeah. But. Definitely, definitely in my top three. It's up there with Hogan and Orndorff from Saturday Night's Main Event in '87, with the both feet landing on the floor at the same time. And it's up there with uh, Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard in the Steel Cage I Quit match from Starcade. Uh, I want to say that was '85, maybe '86. I'm not quite sure when that was, but anyhow, Brett Nolan in the cage. You kind of brought it up. That cage match was not about gore. It was about you know the the escape you know uh, aspect of that match, but it was also about at the same time two brothers trying to prove to one another that they're the best. I mean, in the same respect, yes, it was a different story than WrestleMania ten, but they wrestled within the confines of that cage. They had a good mixture of mat technical wrestling and that escape element of the steel cage. I mean, like you said, the superplex hanging off the. Um, the uh, the um, you know the, the side of the cage Owen with the boot. One of my favorite moments is in, in that match was the amount of times Owen and Brett jumped over each other to try and escape out the door. Yes, and Owen was grabbing the steps. He was grabbing biting the, his fingers. Biting his fingers. Yeah, I mean, just the the, the intensity in that match. Um, that match is over forty minutes, and I can't. I don't get bored watching that even oh, to this no, day. Absolutely, it's in my. I I personally believe it's one of the top. And this is for personal reasons, not, you know, in terms of, you know, not, I'm not breaking this down with the criteria in terms of, you know, match quality, storytelling, anything like that. But me personally, this is one of my top favorite wrestling matches of all time um, with the, with those two in the cage. And like you said, the culmination of the, the Hart family saga that took place with the family sitting at ringside, Davey Boy making his return. They had brought up the, the, the Wembley Stadium uh, match with Brett. I mean, it's... That 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 year SummerSlam, I ordered that because I wanted to see what this whole Undertaker versus Undertaker thing was. But I really wanted to see what Brett and Owen were going to do in that cage, yeah. and they they over delivered. And I in think my too a part of that story was given all that all that build up. You, you know, I felt like they 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 leveraged the family in such a admirable position, particularly like Stu Hart and the brothers, and. You know the aspect of you know you know we're brothers and we you know we we grow up and we have our, our little quarrels especially as kids and we roughhouse and not that we were ever pulled aside and said okay fight it out figure it out who's who you know you guys got a problem you deal with it yourselves yeah I but I saw that bleed through the TV even then a tough sob like Stu Hart kind of going you know what. They have to do this. Yeah. They have to get through this. They have, you know, as brothers, they're going to love each other more yeah. down the road if they get through and just in heart family fashion. Get it out of your system. Get it out of your system. Yeah. Perfect way to put yeah. it. And, get it out of your system. And I thought this was a, you know, a great example of that to um, to more or less cap off while the rivalry stood for a few more years. 
the 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 peak of it was here and this with this match and again like you said it's the masterpiece and it was with the blue cage and mm-hmm. the, the blue steel cage i grew up on probably my favorite version of the steel cage but you know what else i i forgot to touch upon i feel like i have to bring it up when it comes to this match the fact that you know steel cage matches were always known for being the match that like ended it all like the two guys you know they were done they were going to move on to other things you know regardless of who won or who lost and you like you said this rivalry kind of drifted off in you know the 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 year and a half two years following uh this cage match but at the same time they always hated each other they always hate each other but you did feel like you you there was some finality to yeah, this. They you could know? always go back to it, but if they didn't, it ended very well. Yeah. Um and I think we'll tie up Bret Hart real quick and it was really cool to see him join the net the, the, the team WWE against the Nexus. You know, realizing his limitations there with his, you know, post concussions, post stroke symptoms, his wrestling ability wasn't gonna be of an executing style that he was so famous for. Um it was just a nice full circle moment to have him on the team. It was his presence. Yes, exactly. And he didn't really have a terrific showing. He, he was able to pull out some classics, you know, and, 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 and do some things to kind of pop the crowd. And that's exactly what he was there for. And as a fan of Bret Hart, I remember around this time when he was returning, people, even like yourself, said, well, you know what? It's not going to be, you know, he's, he's old. He's, he's this, he's that. And to me, it's, I don't care what he is. He's Bret Hart and he's back. And... To have him present in that match as a member of Team WWE. Because if you think about it, prior to Montreal, he was as WWE as there's ever been. Yeah, no. So, tried and true. Uh, you know, it, he was a great spot on that card in that match. And it, like I said, it kind of brought his return back to the company full circle, at, you know, with a future in mind for Bret Hart. Whether it was, you know, a temporary role as a non-wrestling guy or whatever, but you knew that the closure that was Bret Hart and what we remember him to be was a little bit of a happier ending around this time. Yeah. Um, next guy on our list is an individual I'm not the biggest fan of. Uh, someone that, you know, growing up in my era, uh, not necessarily uh, someone... I mean, you're familiar with him, obviously, from watching, you know, later footage, but uh, the Ultimate Warrior had a short, you know tenure in uh you know when it comes to summer slam and in in the history of the summer classic uh but you know in the five years that he was a part of summer slam he was involved in big time high profile matches you can go back and you can begin discussing his surprise victory over the honky tonk man at the very first SummerSlam, winning the Intercontinental Championship, ending Honky Tonk Man's 15-month reign as the the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion. Fast forward the following year, and uh, he's going for that same championship again, this time defeating Ravishing Rick Rude in a rematch from that year's WrestleMania Five event when Rude had stolen the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, the following year... It comes full circle with Warrior and Rude, but this time they're closing the the SummerSlam event inside of a steel cage for the WWF Championship. I actually have that uh, SummerSlam program hanging on the wall here in the uh, Kicking Out at Two studio, Um, which leads us to the following year, Warrior and Hogan teaming against 
the triangle of terror. The Sar- match made in hell. The match made in hell. Sergeant Slaughter, General Adnan, and Colonel Mustafa, who we all know is, oh yes, Iron Shiki baby. All right, Baba. Um, that, How did they think we weren't going to know who he was? And again, I was too young to remember that. But come I on. thought that was stupid too. Even as a youngster, when yeah. I saw that back on that chopped up tape of ours, <laughs> I was like, "That's the Iron Cheek." Yeah, everyone. Like, yeah, like, that, like who? He had this defining look, especially with you know the, the handlebar mustache and, oh my and God. you know the, the the broken English and you know oh, oh fuck a Hulk Hogan. But no, in all seriousness, uh, you know that was definitely a that was the the co-headliner of that SummerSlam. obviously there was the match made in heaven with uh, randy savage and miss elizabeth uh exchanging her nuptials and then the final SummerSlam, uh in this uh you know in, in this this short tenure for the ultimate warrior was the uh the the wwf championship that co-headlined the wembley stadium show that we discussed with brett and davy as he challenged the macho man randy savage for the world wrestling federation championship kind of playing off their uh their rivalry a year prior from that career threatening match at wrestlemania 7 i know you didn't grow up ultimate warrior fan or during that era but i'm sure that you've seen some ultimate warrior stuff uh you know despite the fact that he had a short run you know in SummerSlam history, you can't deny the fact that each one of those matches were the most important, if you know, important if not the most important in those respective SummerSlam events. Yeah, definitely, and I think especially once he kind of reached that status of immortality um, after defeating Hogan, it was ne- it was for it was further cementing himself as being an equal and being an all time great. And I think that was kind of the pursuit at that point was to further establish him um i think history will kind of say that that didn't quite happen but you know a for effort yeah (laughs) um you know there was a lot of controversy surrounding the ultimate warrior from you know the minute he stepped in there in the wwf so um you know his name draw and his value especially after becoming champion and defeating hogan certainly made for that union that that uh you know that union of him and and hulk a a a a must-see attraction for sure absolutely absolutely as we uh we're gonna put a bow on this one because uh you know i i'm like i said i'm not the biggest ultimate warrior fan i know that you didn't grow up watching him and uh you know but definitely can't deny his contributions to SummerSlam. if i were to pick a favorite warrior SummerSlam match i would probably have to go with the cage match with ravishing rick rude at that year's SummerSlam. as much as i love the match with him and macho i didn't really care for the uh the story of uh you know whose corner was mr perfect gonna be in because i didn't buy that ultimate warrior or macho man randy savage would ever align with rick flair and mr perfect and bobby the brain heenan so uh you know Warrior Rude from SummerSlam 90, quite possibly my favorite. All right, we're down to two left here. Two guys who are, you know, that ran parallel to each other during the Attitude Era. Two individuals you will obviously, you know, look at as all-time greats, uh, Hall of Famers. Um, two guys that, you know, are very familiar with one another just in general in their, in their WWE careers. Uh, your turn this time around. Why don't you pick who the next person is? We're going to talk about the game, Triple H. Um, Hard to ignore his impact on the business as a whole. Uh, SummerSlam, I felt like, was probably his more successful, more uh, crowning 
of events as far as where his achievements took place. Mm-hmm. Um, underwhelming on at, at say WrestleMania as a whole, uh, given the the talent he has and has had. Um, but the body of work that Triple H has at SummerSlam, I think, is as good as there's ever been, given his longevity. Um, you know, first ones that come to mind, I would say the ladder match with The Rock. Yep. Uh, was to me a huge one madison square garden where that took place um you know kind of going you know you didn't the ladder match craze was 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 starting to kind of kick in and those two guys kind of kicked off that attitude era style with their very physical ladder match and i think it resembled a lot of what we saw with sean and razor but just a little more chutzpah if you will um, a little more physical. Yeah, yeah. I would say so. Um, that match, I think, is is certainly up there as far as ladder matches go, and, and certainly a great moment in the culmination of that DX Nation feud to see Triple H come down with the Intercontinental title and kind of continue what would be his rivalry with The Rock moving forward. Um, definitely a, a, a trademark victory on his uh, SummerSlam resume for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you said it best that, you know, WrestleMania, you know, wasn't really too kind to Triple H, even though he was in marquee spots. And it seemed like his, you know, he was more, his character was more successful on that platform at SummerSlam. Uh, I'm kind of right there with you in terms of the Triple H rock ladder match. One of my favorite ladder matches of all time and one of my favorite SummerSlam matches of all time. Um, definitely, uh, you know, that whole summer was brewing with DX and the Nation just trying to get the best of each other and Triple H and Rock spearheading both of those groups respectively. And it was just a matter of time. And what I love about that match so much was that that last week before um, the pay-per-view and Triple H and the, or I'm sorry, the Rock and the Nation had managed to place a forklift in front of DX's dressing room and they had kind of cornered China in the middle of the ring and they tried to force Mark Henry to kiss China. And I think this was the early stages of the sexual chocolate character with Mark Henry. And I'll never forget, he's going to lay one on her. The crowd goes nuts. All of a sudden, camera pops in. You see Shawn Michaels running with a chair, and he nails everyone in the nation. Doesn't touch rock. And I was super excited that, oh, shit, like, he's here to help his old friend China. Like, is he going to back up Hunter? Because I was a big DX guy. I was big Hunter and Sean. And I thought, oh, my God, Shawn Michaels, he's back. He was fresh off of retirement earlier in the year after the WrestleMania match with Austin. And, I, you know, being the, the, the time and the place, SummerSlam, there was, you know, that classic SummerSlam 95 ladder match Shawn was in, the garden where the original ladder match took place, or one of the original ladder matches that can be argued between Shawn and Razor at WrestleMania 10. It just felt like the stars were aligned for Shawn to be a part of that. And even though he wasn't a part of that... Um, you know, and, and it was just a little, I guess, something for him to do. Um, his involvement, I felt, added more drama and intensity to the Triple H Rock match going into that pay per view. You felt like when Rock and Mark Henry came out, you felt that tension there, and you felt that, like, you know, these two were just going to tear each other apart, and they did. And it's probably my favorite, um, 
my, my favorite, you know, like I said, one of my favorite ladder matches and one of my favorite matches that these two had with one another. But you can't deny not only that, tri- you know, Triple H SummerSlam match, you can't deny some of the other matches you're involved in. The non-sanctioned match with Shawn Michaels, which we discussed, like I said, on our my favorite series last week. Um, but other than that, it wasn't a match that he was involved in or that he wrestled in, but it was his involvement in the Randy Orton money in the bank cash in in 2013 that I, that I, I find fascinating. Uh, Triple H is, uh, you know, as the guest referee costing Daniel Bryan, the WWE championship, they just won from John Cena helping Randy Orton cash in and really forming the authority. Um, had that, you know, Attitude Era, Mr. McMahon Corporation feel to it, and I felt Triple H really filled that void. And even to this day, to, to a certain extent, with him involved in, in the current day storylines, really adding some credibility to it. If I were to, you know, give, you know, favorite Triple H SummerSlam moments, I, I mean, I would lean more towards the ladder match with The Rock, but not far behind for sure was the uh, his involvement in helping Randy Orton win the WWE Championship from Daniel Bryan in 2013. Definitely, I will say that I think one match I think that kind of cemented him as a legend in the making, if not a legend, was his uh, that triple threat match with Kurt Angle and The Rock. Yes, uh, I remember watching that match live, and yep. you know Kurt Angle was severely concussed and injured and had to be taken out of the match temporarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and as legend has told it, whether you know if if we are to believe that that wasn't planned, everything has you know led us to believe that. It was very much on Triple H and The Rock to call the audibles and to adjust to the sudden change in plans. And Triple H is the more ring-savvy ring general than The Rock is, at least historically speaking. So he has received a lot of the credit over the years for saving that match. Yep. And um, again, biggest, baddest bad guy in the business at the time. And, And I think he earned a lot of people's respect for... Uh, saving what was a marquee match and, and keeping it not just entertaining, but oh, uh, highly entertaining. I was disappointed, honestly, because I really enjoyed the, the, the build-up with Kurt Angle and the whole Stephanie thing, and even Vince made a cameo. You know, my baby girl cries again. You guys got hell to pay. And I thought it was it was very well done. Rock, you know, was kind of the middleman. And I was really, really, really looking forward to that match, especially the, the, the pre-match promo with Kurt Angle. Where he had said, you know, that Triple H couldn't satisfy his wife even on his best day, and yeah. it, you know that that was like the the uh, you know the 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 early stages of a of a good guy Triple H run, even though they kind of flirted with that, and then he eventually went to be a bad guy again with the whole Austin run over storyline. But um, it was it was you said it was a, a match that you felt launched him into superstardom and I, I i can't argue with that but at the same time as a fan i was really disappointed and unfortunately i think it was because of the circumstances of angle's injury and how they had to restructure the match on the fly so to speak but if there's one you know we've praised triple h in his SummerSlam resume but if there's one match in particular on his SummerSlam resume where you would you know avoid watching or you think is probably not his best outing um for whatever reasons which one of those matches would it be? His his uh, resume, I think, kind of takes a hit. Um, you know, honestly, you know, his match with Booker T, to me, didn't really do much. It was just, you were paying to see him come back. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's all good and all, but 
it was just a story to bring him back. Yeah. Um, and King Booker was kind of running roughshod, and I thought finally had some steam after all those years. And Triple H kind of, you know, stuck brought the shovel out. It's you know, <laughs> it it uh it appears so. Yeah, I would say that it, it that is a uh, a match I could really care less for. It was good to see him back, I guess, and certainly inject himself into the current storylines. But you know, it didn't do anything for me personally. If if I'm gonna pick one that that really took a nosedive on his resume, I'm gonna go with the 2012 match with Brock. Uh, a match I think I might have overhyped myself in my head because, um, and I think it kind of plays off of. Uh, you know the 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 level of excitement that we had experienced together going to WrestleMania that year with Cena and The Rock. That was a huge marquee money match, and Brock returns the next night and you know inserts himself into you know the WWE again. And you know you knew Rock was gone. Cena was kind of doing his own thing, even though Brock and Cena touched not too long after WrestleMania, but. Brock and Triple H never had a singles match, a one-on-one match. And it was kind of like how we were excited to see Brock and Orton. I was excited in that same level to see Hunter and Brock because they had never touched. And because I kind of was, maybe I was trying to piggyback that feeling off of the excitement from WrestleMania 28 with Rock and and, and Cena. But I just didn't feel like it delivered. Uh, The storyline was solid heading into it. Uh, but the match itself, I was at times bored, and I just felt like their styles, that they just didn't really mesh well. Um, yeah, and I think that we, I think we could tell there was more coming. You know, they kind of played up the retirement or p- impending retirement with you know the broken arm and the 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 swan song. Of oh, sorts. and he fucking milked that pop, yeah, and oh, and, yeah, and I and I think you know to me I was savvy enough like many of us to go, yeah, we know this ain't it, and, yeah, you know, and I'm sure we'll see these guys clash very very soon, and we got that at WrestleMania, so I would agree with you there that it didn't do anything for me. Um, I just didn't think those two guys had a great uh, great chemistry to be honest, uh, and that's again surprising given both of their talents but sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and i think that was a perfect example of that yeah absolutely all right final guy on our list finally yeah finally the rock has come back to the kicking out at two summer slam mount rushmore list so to speak even though mount rushmore is uh you know we're gonna get to that in a minute but uh mount rushmore is you know four four heads you know uh, the Rock certainly making this list in terms of his contributions to SummerSlam. Another individual who didn't have as many SummerSlam outings, but each one he had was equally important and really left a mark on the 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 SummerSlam history. So uh, you know we could start with '98. We kind of discussed it with you know his ladder match with Triple H, and that was the 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 turning point for his character to really move onward um, and upward into the uh, the upper echelon of the main event scene within the WWE. Uh, he kind of took a little step back the following year as he wrestled badass Billy Gunn in a... Mr. Ass. Mr. Ass, that's right, in a Kiss My Ass match. I like that one. I did. You I like thought the match? that was cool. I thought it was... Or did you like the finish in JR's The finish call. was great. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I liked it. I thought Billy Gunn had a lot of promise at the time. And I thought that, uh, you know, putting him in the rock was kind of... Together was kind of a cool 
you know, wasn't high stakes, no. but it was certainly something that you know allowed the Rock to flash his his uh, you know ever present uh, you know mic skills and comedic timing, um, and kind of put some shine on Billy Gunn a little bit and see how that went. Um, history shows us that didn't really work. Um, again, it's not for everybody, but uh, I, no. I kind of like that one. I thought it was a cool little place to put you know put those two guys you know in what was a very crowded. Uh, WWE picture in uh, general. I, I, I'm not knocking it whatsoever. I mean, I was a big, big New Age Outlaws guy. The Rock was my number one uh, in the Attitude Era by far, my favorite, uh, in in one of my top favorites of all time currently. And uh, I, I I dug the 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 match itself with him. I definitely dug the finish. And of course, you know, us Rose and Blues, we have you know we we have done Jim Ross's voice to death over the years with imitations and impressions, but I would be remiss if I didn't make the call on that Rock Billy Gunn Kiss My Ass match. And for those of you that are uh, curious what exactly that is, Billy Gunn had brought, as Jim Ross would say, a full-sized lady to ringside. Full-sized. That's a, a full great, size. great PC <laughs> Uh, comment a full sized lady when he said that I was dying laughing yeah. and uh, he said that you know Rock was not going to uh, kiss his ass but he was rather going to kiss this woman's ass and smell what she was cooking and uh, she was a, a rather large woman uh, you know to be politically correct and uh, you know the famous call from JR as the Rock you know uh, countered a move from Billy Gunn gives him a kick to the gut and uh takes you know the rock just put billy gunn's face in that large woman's ass wait a minute i think i just said that (laughs) i mean jr definitely if if you didn't really care for the match that was the moment of that match that you cared about or you 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 take away from from that match uh definitely not a step down i should say maybe i you know worded it wrong but uh you know, it was fun, like you said, but it wasn't as important as the, uh, the 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 Intercontinental Championship match from the previous year. We go to 2000. We talked about it briefly. The triple threat with uh, Kurt Angle and Triple H. He was kind of that pawn in the middle as the champion with the, the Triple H, Kurt Angle, Stephanie McMahon love triangle. The following year, uh, the, the Rock made it back to the championship picture, this time in the abysmal WCW-ECW alliance invasion on the the World Wrestling Federation as he won the WCW Championship from Booker T. Uh, not one of my favorite rock matches, but certainly uh, you know a, a a match between two guys that can definitely go in the ring. And then of course we we touched upon it at the beginning of this countdown, the beginning of this list. Uh, rock and Brock 2002 Nassau Coliseum. Uh, can't deny that Rock's impact on SummerSlam has been, um, you know, duly noted. You had brought it up earlier that, you know, Michaels and Hogan was like the first real big marquee match to really help market SummerSlam in that same vein as, or in the attempt, in the to attempt to, you know, market in the same vein as WrestleMania. But I really feel like Rock and Brock was probably that first big box office match for SummerSlam to really put it on the same level as WrestleMania. Absolutely, and I think the credit to that goes to The Rock. I mean, I mean, he he's was, box office. He is box office. Was, is, and will be for as long as he decides to be. Um, 
yeah, like I said in the beginning, you know, just this clash of these two studs going at it. And again, the box office appeal was The Rock and the, ooh, look at this appeal of Brock Lesnar and what he would become was, was just starting to emerge. So, um, again, all all the recipes to make for an interesting match and uh, in, 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 in a, you know, big ticket, big fight feel. And that's what you got with that match. And again, a lot of that credit has to go to The Rock and what he was able to do to kind of make and set up Brock Lesnar for, you know, being not necessary, not just the next big thing anymore, but the big thing. And look at him now. All right, I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction here before we uh, we, we, we individually name our, uh, our, our, our Mount Rushmore of SummerSlam to kind of, uh, you know... Uh, Put a bow, as as they would say, on the uh, on Rock's SummerSlam resume. Rock, he's only had you know five SummerSlam matches in its history, and uh, after 2002, he kind of bounced around, you know, coming back, you know, 2003, and then you know WrestleMania 20, 2004. But if there was one match in particular you would have liked to have seen him at, you know, have at a SummerSlam, following that 2002 match, what would it be? Not the fantasy book, but who would you like to have seen him work with? You know, he kind of had a brief little return in 2004 in the Eugene storyline. Yep. Um, and the fall, you know, in, again in that summer, um, I would have liked to see him and Randy Orton. Yes, I was teased that we were teased that yep. with the the WrestleMania match. I would have liked to seen him and Randy Orton, and I hope they can still put that match together. Um, you know. In the future, there's still, I think, plenty of you know miles left, you know, for the Rock to, to travel, as far as what he can do to to further his legacy and set up WWE and its superstars. And I think Randy Orton can benefit so much by going back to 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 facing a much bigger star that, than the Rock was back then, and as a much bigger star than he was then as well. Where you know, as the star that he is now, it is so. Uh, that would be the one I would definitely like to have seen at that time, and again, I'd like to see that yesterday. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, if not him, um, if not Orton, uh, Michaels, Rock and Michaels, I think would. Uh, oh, of course, that was definitely a dream match for years. I, you I mean absolutely? Yeah, that that that'd probably be something I would have definitely have, uh, you know, as the kids would say, marked out for. All right, it's not cutting time as we uh, we're, we're we're gonna wrap things up here on this. Uh, this uh, SummerSlam retrospective, Mount Rushmore, uh, Mr. SummerSlam episode, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're going to list our Mount Rushmore, our SummerSlam Mount Rushmores. Four guys that have, in the 30 years that SummerSlam has, uh, has uh, you know, been around, has re- that have, on this list that we have compiled, that have made an impact on the event. And I'm going to add a little twist here you're going to take four guys from this list you're going to build your mount rushmore but like in wrestling you know it evolves i'd like for you to give me a few names that you think could eventually be in the SummerSlam mount rushmore discussion after you name your original mount rushmore so 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 give me your mount rushmore from this list sure and then talking the current era the current crop of guys in wwe who do you think would be in that discussion in the next five or ten years. 
So I'll, I'll kind of list my Mount Rushmore in the order of which they made their impact and almost a, you know, an evolution for evolution's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, no pun intended. And I will start with Bret Hart. Uh, I think, bef- you know, he was the f- he would be probably the first Mister SummerSlam with all the classics that he put on that we mentioned. So I think he's up. He's on that. He's got his his uh, his his slicked greasy hair and his shades carved in nicely to SummerSlam's Mount Rushmore. Um, I think shortly thereafter the baton was passed. I think to Triple H. His longevity speaks for itself, and I think. Um, he cut his teeth as what would eventually be one of the greatest of all time. Uh, and SummerSlam is where a lot of those crowning achievements and big moments took place. Moving after that, I'm going to say Shawn Michaels. And I put Triple H first because, like I said, Shawn Michaels 2002 to 2009 was the summer, was he was Mr. SummerSlam. He was the go-to guy at all times in mm-hmm. that in that era, and I think he that Shawn Michaels that born again, uh, refined Shawn Michaels was the best of Shawn, and a lot of those moments happened at SummerSlam. So I would put him there, and then I'm gonna kind of bring it back to where we started at the beginning with Mr. Brock Lesnar. Um, he's kind of who they build this show around on a yearly basis and have for the last six years. Um, he will be headlining that show this year against Roman Reigns. And, you know, whether we like it or not, it's going to matter. And, you know, we're going to get a hell of a fight, a hell of a show. And a lot of that credit's going to go not just to Roman, but most certainly to Brock Lesnar and what he has brought to the table over the course of his career. And it's all really revolved around SummerSlam since since the beginning for him. Interesting, interesting. And, uh, you know, before I give you my my Mount Rushmore of uh, SummerSlam competitors, SummerSlam superstars, if you will, uh, you know, we don't sit here and we don't discuss, you know, we kind of have a little bit of a brief format, brief discussion of, as to what we're going to do. But for the most part, we, we kind of wing it here and just kind of go with the flow because, you know, we're, we're brothers. We've talked wrestling for such a long period of time. And uh, your Mount Rushmore is about, you know, almost as – the same as my Mount Rushmore. I'm right there with you on Brett. I'm right there with you on Hunter. I'm right there with you on Brock. But I'm not there with you on Shawn Michaels. Um, as as dazzling as his performances were, and as great as his performances were in SummerSlam, I felt like he um, he meant more to WrestleMania. And with that being said, the fourth person for my Mount Rushmore was Undertaker. Um, I know he's synonymous with WrestleMania with that streak, but Undertaker, despite who he was in that ring with, every single match, like I said earlier, made me feel like it was important. If it was Kamala, if it was the under the, the fake Undertaker, or if it was Giant Gonzalez going all the way to you know the the uh, his his classic with Bret Hart and you know Edge and the Hell in the Cell, and you know I'm, I could go on and on. I just felt like Undertaker. Um, I felt I at a younger age I felt Undertaker was more associated with SummerSlam than he was at WrestleMania until they really made that WrestleMania streak for him a big part of his WrestleMania matches and and the the focal point of the story. Um, so that's where I stand as far as the Mount Rushmore of SummerSlam competitors. Now I mentioned to you 
Name a couple of guys that you think from the current crop of superstars that you will think that you think will be in the the SummerSlam Mount Rushmore discussion in the next few years. The first guy that's going to come to mind is Seth Rollins. Uh, he is slated to go against Dolph Ziggler as of this recording, and those guys together I think are a are a great pairing in the ring, um, despite what an audience might do to try to screw up their matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're gonna they're poised to to make you know a great great classic match. Yep. Uh, if I had to pick one more. I like, you know, I'm going to go with AJ Styles. I think AJ Styles getting in the ring in his first SummerSlam against John Cena. putting on Awesome match. An unbelievable match. Being awesome there live, match. that was a classic match for a SummerSlam. That's, that Did you ever watch it back? Like yes. On, yeah. Yes. And that was, a, that was a WrestleMania match at SummerSlam. Yep. And I think that's what the SummerSlam needs. Yeah. And they tend to deliver that more recently. So I'm going to say AJ Styles. I think AJ Styles and Seth Rollins have the chance to knock one of these originals that I have on my list off and and, and take their place. Who they are, I don't know. But I think those guys are primed to really, you know, etch themselves into the history of of the biggest show of the summer overall. You know, I can't argue either of those. I'm going to agree with you on AJ. However, um, an individual who made our list discussing uh, their their padded SummerSlam resume, I think, is going to be a part of that Mount Rushmore discussion for when it comes to SummerSlam in in years past. And this may surprise you, but Randy Orton, um, as of this recording, uh, the most recent episode of SmackDown Live, Randy Orton had uh, cut a promo that I thought was absolutely on fire, uh, addressing you know the internet wrestling fans and kind of, in some ways, addressing the fan base for turning on him and, and and being you know i guess taking him for granted so to speak and i and i could i think there's some 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 truth behind that not just from a creative standpoint but there's actual truth behind it and i feel like we're in a series we're in an age with orton um not the age of orton but we are in an age with orton where we don't know the future of brock lesnar and where he stands with his mma career and these future mma fights he's supposed to be a part of um as of this recording However, I feel like if there's one person that can kind of anchor being a big box office attraction for SummerSlam in Brock's absence, because Brock has pretty much owned SummerSlam the last six years, I think that guy's Orton. I think Orton can have a a, um, a, a successful run at the top headlining SummerSlams and being that go-to, uh, not part-time wrestler, but that go-to established star to really anchor the... Uh, the the buildup in, into that SummerSlam. We all know, I mean, it's it's a well-known fact that, you know, at, like you said, after WrestleMania, they gear up towards SummerSlam. Brock has been Summer, you know, has been the, the focal point of SummerSlams. I think Randy Orton is going to be uh, a, a big player in SummerSlams for, for years to come. And, he, you know, he's 36, 37 maybe, I want to say. I want to say, excuse me, as I, you know, almost lose my voice there. Uh, so I feel like... Now's a time where Orton's schedule may scale back a little bit, and he'll have more of a um, featured attraction role within WWE in the next couple of years. If he wants it, man, yeah, it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility. That's for sure. 
definitely not out of the realm of possibilities, that's for sure. Thank you guys for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed our take on the MVPs, the heroes of SummerSlam, if you will, and their importance on the Summer Classic as we approach the 30th annual event on August the 19th. Thank you, Justin, for lending your insight and expertise on a subject that I feel just doesn't get enough love. I hope we did SummerSlam some justice. Facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. If you haven't already, hit the like button to become an official member of the hashtag KOA2 crew, where you can implement the four R's of retro on the glory days of professional wrestling with others. Re reflect, revisit, reminisce, and reimagine all over on Facebook. The same KOA2 crew membership applies over on Twitter. Go give us a follow. Our handle is at kicking out two. That's K I C K. N-O-U-T and the number two. Pictures, videos, debates, throwback pro wrestling banter, 140 characters or less. And if you're already on board with us on Facebook and Twitter, then tell anyone that loves a good pro wrestling discussion to like and follow us right now. Thank you all for downloading this show each and every week on SoundCloud. Your love and support for us on this journey is duly noted. If you're new to the party, check out some of our archive shows over at SoundCloud. We have a few watch-alongs and other cool concepts over there on SoundCloud.com. Just search Kicking Out at 2. One final thank you to my dear friend I got to visit with earlier this week. A lot of fans, they like to dress up as their favorite wrestlers at big events like WrestleMania and SummerSlam. And a lot of what I've seen over the years, it looks great. But nothing compares to my good buddy Dank over at House of Phoenix Cosplay. You can find him on Facebook at House of Phoenix Cosplay. He specializes in movies and comic books more than wrestling, but I bet if I challenge him to come up with a good cosplay for professional wrestling, he'd be up for it. He's done Harry Potter, the old guy from Jurassic Park, Park, excuse me, which is my personal favorite, Bane from the Batman movie, Negan from The Walking Dead, and so many others. A lot of fun from a great dude, so go check him out on Facebook and Instagram. His handle is house underscore of underscore phoenix underscore cosplay. And that about does it this week. Tune in next week as my cousin Wild Bill Brown joins me to discuss pole winner SummerSlam 1993 in long form as we bookend our SummerSlam theme here on Kicking Out of Two. This guy's been in the business for a long time with refereeing, ring announcing. At one point, he was a big name on the tape trading circuit in the late 80s and early 90s. He's going to sit down with me to offer his perspective on this forgettable event and talk about the transition the WWE was going through with the steroid trial, Hulk Hogan being gone, Yokozuna as the champion, Bret Hart stepping up to the main event scene, and the Lex Express. Who can forget about the Lex Express? Yankee Doodle Dandy on performance-enhancing drugs. All right. Time to put this show down for the one, two, three. I'm Dave Rosenbluth, and I will catch you all next week.